Welcome everyone to the Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast presented by the 33rd team. I'm your host as always, Josh Larky, joined as always by my co-host, the lead Dynasty analyst at the 33rd team, Ian Miller. Today we're going to focus on the three biggest Dynasty risers and the three biggest Dynasty fallers in Ian's Dynasty rankings, which are on the 33rdteam.com. And in between the risers and fallers, we're going to talk about a recent, very spicy 2024 NFL mock draft done by the football side at the 33rd team. Just run through a little background info on some of these potential round one talents at the skill positions. And uh, we'll get Ian's thoughts on these dynasty landing spots. Let's just dive right in. How could it be anyone else? CJ Stroud, biggest riser. The, the guy has run away with the offensive rookie of the year. The last time I checked in the betting markets, he was minus 2,000. Uh, that basically means that he's going to win it. I think even if he were to get injured and never play another snap this year, he wins it no matter what. Where Where is he at now in the rankings? How, how high has Stroud risen? I, I think the real question is how low can CJ Stroud go? And I think you cannot put him anywhere lower than QB7. Uh, I think at that point you're kind of splitting hairs, but he absolutely belongs in a tier with Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. Like that tier two for dynasty quarterbacks. He absolutely belongs there. And I think there's a perfectly reasonable case to really have him above any of those guys. Will I make that case? Probably not. But the point is the fact that he's so strong as a prospect, as a rookie, is pretty insane. And there's absolutely any case you can make that he belongs in this group. I mean, the guy's an 8.9 adjusted yards per attempt, which is second amongst all quarterbacks, not even just rookies, all quarterbacks. And he has a 50-point game this season, something that no rookie quarterback has ever done. Like, CJ Stroud is truly being historic. And I think one thing that's kind of getting overshadowed when you kind of dive into his peripherals are that a true pocket passer at Ohio State hardly ran for anything. He has 2.3 rushing points per game, which is kind of the exact boost you want for a guy who's third amongst all quarterbacks with 21.2 passing points per game. Like when you're looking at pocket passers or scramble passers, you're looking for guys like Herbert and Burrow who will get a few points per game on the ground so that they can really ascend into a like a legitimate top three quarterback ceiling. And CJ Stroud is showing that he has that. Yeah. Uh, what we saw last week, I think was in some ways his most impressive performance to date. The Bengals had not allowed any team to score 30 points. And C.J. Stroud down, Nico Collins, his wide receiver one, did just that over 350 passing yards. Folks, remember, remember, heading into this season, nobody out there, I didn't see a single person out there that said the Texans had a good supporting cast. C.J. Stroud has been working with Nico Collins, Robert Woods, Tank Dell, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz. None of these guys were on anybody's radar as legitimate potential stars in the NFL. And he's made stars out of several of them this season. Next riser, Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs. He outsnapped, he outtouched, he out fantasy pointed David Montgomery this past week. I was actually a little skeptical of Gibbs because his two starts without Montgomery. I, I think there were some asterisks. The first one, uh, the lions were down 28 zero at halftime to the Ravens. That's the dream game script for a pass catching back like Jameer Gibbs. He ends up with 10 targets. Then the next week he faces a Raiders team where after that game, they fired their general manager, their head coach, their offensive coordinator, and they benched their quarterback. But I, I think he's legit because this, this past week, David Montgomery's clearly healthy. He broke off a long touchdown run of his own. Jameer Gibbs still looked like the better player. 
had better overall usage, even had three of the five goal line carries in that game. How high are we boosting Jameer Gibbs at this point? And is there a case for him to be Dynasty RB1 overall? I, I think there's a case. I mean, he could be no lower than I would say Dynasty RB3, maybe RB4, but there's really no reason for it. One of the youngest running backs in the league right now, and he's producing. After after a slow start for his rookie year, he's already on the complete season up to RB7 with 17.5 points per game. And you hit on it. That week's where he didn't have Montgomery. He goes for 27.6 points. The next week, 29.9 uh, points. Then Montgomery returns. Everyone's worried. And yeah, they should be. He dropped down to 26.2 points. That's that's not going to cut it. No, I'm just kidding. But Jameer Gibbs has been great, and he's doing exactly what we projected him to do at this point. And what I mean by that is why we like Jameer Gibbs so much was, wasn't that he had to take a rushing workload, a very strong one. He could play alongside a David Montgomery and still be a high-end running back producer because he's one of the best, if not the best, receiving profiles we've ever seen coming out of college at the running back position, and he got first-round draft capital. So if we look at this past week where he had 26.2 points per game or 26.2 points this past week, he didn't even have a 50% carry percentage, and he probably won't as long as David Montgomery's healthy. But the point is he doesn't need one. He's proven in the last three weeks that whether it's a big load or he gets a smaller rushing workload, he can be very efficient with it. And he's one of the best pass-catching backs in the league as a rookie. This past week with David Montgomery, 15.2% target share. That's absolutely going to play every single week, especially with the efficiency he has in what's honestly a very efficient and high-volume offense that you'd really want any fantasy asset to be a part of. Yeah, it really feels like we're getting in on the ground floor of the faster, slightly smaller Alvin Kamara type where because he doesn't need that massive workload, the longevity can most certainly be in play. We could be looking at six, seven years of fantasy RB1 type production from Mr. Gibbs. Before moving on to our third riser, reminder that we're going to be talking shortly about a recent NFL mock draft, prepping you guys for some of the 2024 NFL class. That's always important for Dynasty. It is maybe the most loaded receiver class ever. And make sure you're following Ian Miller at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter slash X. His dynasty rankings are updated every single week. They are free to view on the33rdteam.com. Make sure you're checking them out. Third riser, it's Trey McBride. How could it be anybody else? He's had three different quarterbacks the past three weeks. Josh Dobbs, Clayton Toon, Kyler Murray. He's still averaging over nine targets, seven receptions, more than 80 yards per game during this three-game span. And one of those games with Clayton Toon, Clayton Toon passed for 58 total yards. Trey McBride was a Mackey Award winner in college for the best tight end in college football. He's very fast and he's starting to produce in one of the more exciting emerging offenses. Now that Kyler is back, how high have we bumped him at this point in dynasty? Yeah. So I think if his rookie year just simply never existed, people will be catapulting this guy into Dalton Kincaid territory. I mean, way above guys like George Kittle, like the producers or veterans right now, Dallas Goddard, but right now he's behind them because of a pretty poor rookie year. But why I say that is because he was a good prospect, second round in my uh, process, an upside uh, prospect, which is plenty fine for a tight end. That's one of the best because there's only a few elite prospects at the tight end position. So he was a good prospect. But then this year, Zach Ertz is getting a majority of the snaps. Yet when Trey McBride was on the field, he was one of the best tight ends in the league. What I mean by that is when we look at his per route stats before Zach Ertz went down, when he was on the field, 
He had the fourth highest target rate and the fifth highest yards per out run. He was very good on the field, but oftentimes what can happen is when that sample starts to get bigger and they're on the field more, that kind of evaporates and it just becomes one of those small sample blurs. That wasn't the case with Trey McBride. What he was doing on a per route basis has become something that he's doing now that he has an upped route participation in a Cardinals offense. And I think the other important uh, part of this is that there's no reason for Zach Ertz to go back to that role and put McBride there, considering what we've seen him done. Since, since Zach Ertz went down, we've seen his route participation go to 76%. And what he's doing with it is honestly just awesome. What I mean by that is a 30.3% target share in the three weeks without Zach Ertz, where his route participation is up. That is phenomenal, especially at the tight end position. And while the average depth of target is still around between six and seven, that's plenty adequate for a tight end who's going to be earning the amount of targets that he does. I think it's really hard to not see Trey McBride as one of the biggest risers coming into this season and someone who you can make a case for that should now be above guys like the Dallas Goddard, like the George Kittle, who are producing veterans at the position. I love it. Before we talk about our three biggest fallers in the dynasty rankings, let's chat about a recent mock draft that we published on the 33rd team site on Monday for 2024. It is at this point by far the most viewed article in site history. It has gone absolutely nuclear. It's gone viral. We're going to break it down. It's got some spicy picks in there. We're going to talk about these landing spots. There were no trades projected in this mock and some people are frustrated by that, but any mock draft that does predict trades is going to be less accurate because as we see every single NFL draft, none of these trades are predictable. Nobody out there knew that the Buffalo Bills were going to be trading up in round one for Dalton Kincaid. Did not see that in a single mock draft. This is just how things go every single year. I pick one to Chicago. The Chicago Bears took wide receiver Marvin Harrison out of Ohio State. I'd say he's the borderline perfect wide receiver prospect. He's 6'3". He's extremely fast, particularly for his size. Ridiculous college production. And of course, how can we forget the NFL bloodlines? His dad is Marvin Harrison Sr., the Hall of Famer. How do you feel about this Bears landing spot with Justin Fields? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the most Bears thing that you could do, obviously, where you decide <laughs> you're going to pass up on possible generational quarterback prospect. For a wide receiver who – now, here's the thing. Maybe the hit rate is better with Marvin Harrison because he's basically guaranteed to hit, if that makes sense. Like, he's a Jamar Chase little prospect. Like, there's there's simply – especially if you went number one, there's no reason to even slightly doubt this guy, which is why I don't need to dive into his numbers. All I'm going to say is that when we look at Marvin Harrison Jr., he is aiming or trajecting towards being a wide receiver in my process that's going to have a, a very small bucket that only includes – Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, and Jamar Chase. That's the level of wide receiver we're looking at in Marvin Harrison Jr. I love it. Pick two to the New York Giants. They pivot off of Danny Dimes. They take quarterback Caleb Williams out of USC. Many, many have compared him to Patrick Mahomes. He's a shorter quarterback. He's great out of structure. As a sophomore, over 4,500 passing yards, 42 passing touchdowns, just five interceptions. Even with a reduced supporting cast this year as a junior. Some people even saying he's having a, a down year, still ridiculous numbers compared to pretty much every other college quarterback. He's also pretty mobile. He's probably going to run for three, 400 yards each year at the NFL level. How do you feel about Caleb Williams being paired with Brian Dable and company 
in New York. Yeah, I mean, this would be the best possible thing that the Giants could hope for this season. I mean, that would be a dream. I mean, everyone wants Caleb Williams if they're the team to get him. That's terrific, especially because I think the system that he goes into, Brian Dayball, is one that can elevate quarterbacks. Like, yeah, we could talk about Josh Allen and the leap that he made, but also you could talk about Daniel Jones last year who had his best passing season as someone who's not a very good passer. I think the the system would be perfect. And yes, we are seeing Caleb Williams actually have his worst college season, which isn't too far off. I mean, we'd seen players do it before. Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence have their worst season. Justin Herbert have their worst season be their last season. It's not something that should hang you up and say this guy is no longer a number one pick, the quarterback one of the class, because he is. Because what he is doing at 18, 19 years old is, is ridiculous, honestly. And yes, you do make a good point. I'm curious the level of Konami that we get as a quarterback because this is someone as a 19-year-old, 21.4% rushing yard market share, 15.9% last year. This year, it's just at 12%, but still adequate, and someone who has shown that he has a high rushing capability and could find himself in one of the best prospect buckets possible for a fantasy quarterback. I love how Ian talks about Dynasty, how he talks about these college prospects. You need to be checking out his Dynasty rankings on the 33rdteam.com. You need to be following him at Dynasty underscore IM on Twitter. I am Josh Larkey, at Larkey Tweets. But more importantly, if you are playing Redraft, which most people who play Dynasty are, I have my fantasy rankings and my rest of season fantasy rankings and trade value chart on the 33rd team. Trade deadlines are this week in many leagues. Make sure you're checking that out. At pick four in this mock to the New England Patriots, quarterback Drake May out of North Carolina. He's got premium NFL size. He's built like Justin Herbert. 4,300 passing yards, a 38-7 touchdown to interception ratio as a sophomore, along with 700 rushing yards. This year, once again, he's back at it. Over 300 yards per game this year, 21-6 to touchdown to interception ratio. Probably the quarterback one in some classes. Of course, with Caleb Williams, he's not going to be the quarterback one, but still a great prospect in his own right. How do you feel about him going to the Patriots and then moving on from Mac Jones? I mean, that's absolutely perfect for New England. And someone in terms of fantasy, that is awesome to see him go with such high draft capital. Obviously, anytime you get a quarterback that's a Konami rusher as a prospect, going into the NFL with very high draft capital is something you're basically always going to want. I mean, the only absolutely failed case is really Trey Lance, and this isn't a Trey Lance case. Like we talk about uh, Drake May right now being a rusher last year, 32.5% rushing yard market share. He rushes a lot and he's very good at it. And with this level of draft capital, that's fantastic in fantasy. But then you add on the part that he's actually a wicked awesome passer. Last year, a 90.8 90. PFF pass grade, at, which was higher than Caleb Williams. His adjusted yards per attempt of 9.2 last year is now up to 9.3 this year. I think 2024 is that quarterback class, at least with these two up front. That is what you hoped for when you saw the 2021 class come in. This could be if like possibly the best quarterback class that we've had in fantasy football, especially recently. Ian, could we, could we make the case this is the best uh, just in general class at this point, given that we've got these two premium quarterbacks up top, a lot of other interesting quarterbacks we'll discuss and probably the best wide receiver class since at least 2020. I think it's probably comparable to that, that lamb Jefferson type class as well. Yeah, I, I've been kind of quietly saying that the 2023 class that people hope for for a couple of years might just be the 2024 class in terms of how good it is. 
because at least looking in the process, there's a real possibility. We have four league winner prospects in this class. One we haven't even talked about yet. And we've never had a class that has more than three. So it's seriously, especially with the depth on top of it, that we're going to talk about, it could seriously be one of the best classes we've ever seen. Start hoarding those 2024 first round picks. You're going to think you're paying a premium as Ian knows, as I know the value will only keep rising. Pick six to the Green Bay Packers. They decide they want more youth at receiver. They take Romeo Odunzi out of Washington. Big 6'3 receiver. As a junior, he had 75 receptions, over 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns. This year as a senior, he's averaging over 110 yards per game. How do you feel about him being paired with? uh, Unfortunately, I would assume that means Jordan Love would, would stay on the team next year. Yeah, I would assume so. I mean, I don't think it's a fantastic landing spot. And this is one of the the first players that I'm going to slightly disagree with the mock in terms of drafting them this high, especially when I think there's probably better wide receivers in this class that are still available past pick six. I mean, first of all, we know the hit rate for senior wide receivers is already not very good. But I think the other part is one thing you look for is like very much so spike years, like where you could see, okay, this year was simply incredible. And this is one where we kind of see a plateau in terms of his first year at 19 years old, 22.5% target share. This past year as a senior, 24.7% target share. Like he's not completely dominating the targets on what's a very good Washington team. I just don't think there is besides size. I don't think there is enough to say that this is someone who you should be taking in the top 10 of your of your draft class when it's also a very strong draft class i think ian's gonna like this wide receiver prospect more at pick eight to tennessee lsu wide receiver malik neighbors he's got good nfl size 6'1 190 over 70 catches and a thousand yards as a sophomore then this year as a junior going absolutely ballistic he's averaging 128 receiving yards per game in this incredible lsu offense is this the receiver you were hoping would go a little bit earlier in the draft? Yeah, especially because Tennessee is a horrid landing spot, as we've noted. So he gets a terrible <laughs> landing spot, and he was drafted maybe not too late, but too many wide receivers late. Um, I think he is the the absolute closest wide receiver we have in this class to Marvin Harrison Jr. He's taken a pretty linear path, and then we see him at 20 years old right now be one of the best wide receivers in all of college football, and you could make a case that He's having the best year in college football, 32.9% target share, 3.83 yards per team pass attempt, and he's doing it on an average depth of target of 12.6, earning an absolute ton of targets deeper down the field and being one of the most efficient wide receivers with it as just a 20-year-old junior is basically what you want to see in a perfect world, and that's what Malik Neighbors is delivering this year. Pick 10 to the Atlanta Falcons. You know what? Why take a quarterback when you can just load up with another skill player with top 10 draft capital? They select wide receiver Keon Coleman out of Florida State. He's got Michael Pittman size. As a sophomore, he outproduced Jaden Reed, who was just taken in round two of the recent NFL draft by the Packers. As a sophomore, he outproduced Jaden Reed at Michigan State. Then he transfers to Florida State. He's a junior now. He's currently leading the team in receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns. Keon Coleman actually has 10 touchdowns this year. No other player on Florida State has more than two receiving touchdowns. Keon Coleman monopolizing that end zone work. I think we hate this spot for Dynasty. Am I correct? Well, I think him going to Atlanta, you absolutely have to love that selection. 
if you're holding Kaderil Hodgebags. Because we know if a top 10 wide receiver pick goes to Atlanta, it's going to be someone you don't even know that now all of a sudden is making the plays, getting the targets. But in all seriousness, Keon Coleman actually a pretty good prospect, and especially in a pretty good year this year where we could see him declare early for the draft and as this points to top 10 uh, selection in the draft. That's something that you want to see. He's having a pretty solid year at 2.21 yards per team pass attempt, a 23.3% target share on what's been a very good Florida State team with solid offensive weapons uh, that also includes Johnny Wilson. So it's a solid pick, but obviously anyone that any skill position player that goes to Atlanta, as long as Arthur Smith is still the head coach, is probably going to tear your hair out. So uh, hate the landing spot, solid player, and would love to see him go top 10. Pick 12 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Goodbye, Kate Otten. Hello, tight end Brock Bowers out of Georgia. He's undersized. He's 6'4", 230. But uh, I think we talked pre-show. He's arguably the best tight end producer of all time in college. 880 receiving yards as a freshman. 940 receiving yards as a sophomore. He's dealt with injuries this year, and he's still averaging 75 receiving yards per game as a tight end. Earlier this year, he had tightrope ankle surgery. That's something that Adam Thielen's had in the past that Cooper cup had. I think Tony Pollard had the same this off season. Usually you miss multiple months. He missed two games, came back and then played well. Brock Bowers, almost certainly a, a great athlete with that type of injury recovery. The ridiculous production. How do you feel about him going to the Buccaneers? Yeah, I think this is a very good conversation that we had before the show where we are talking about Brock Bowers, because yes, he does have quite possibly the best production profile as a college tight end that we've ever seen at least when you age adjust i mean the guy from the second he got on the field at 18 years old produced like one of the best tight ends in the country and he's still doing that at 20 years old but one thing that we point to is i just want to see where his athleticism is at because obviously we know athleticism can be the key to upside a tight end well this guy had tightrope surgery on october 16th I don't know if you know this, but it's not even a month later. It's November 15th, and the guy played last weekend and was awesome. So the fact that we have just points to him possibly being a freak athlete because that's not something even good athletes do. That's that's rather ridiculous. So I think it points to the fact that not only do we possibly have one of the best tight end draft capitals that we're, we might get, especially if he does go pick 12, one of the best production profiles we've ever seen, and he might just be a freak athlete on top of it. I think it's hard not to love basically anywhere Brock Bowers goes, but Tampa Bay is honestly a fine spot. Pick 16 to the Las Vegas Raiders. They try to upgrade quarterback. Aiden O'Connell is not the answer. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the answer. They take quarterback Bo Nix out of Oregon. It's a controversial pick. He's a five-year college player in year four. 3,600 passing yards, 29 to seven touchdown to interception ratio. That's exciting. Fifth-year player. This year, 3,100 passing yards already on the season and 29 passing touchdowns to just two interceptions. He's quite mobile, but maybe it's just me. I have some concerns. The first three years he played at Auburn as a starter and he struggled and then transferred to Oregon. I sense a tiny little bit of Kenny Pickett to him where the guy kind of had to be older, bigger, more experienced in his competition to really start producing at an elite level. How do you feel about the Raiders and Bo Nix? Yeah, I mean, I think from a fantasy perspective, even if you don't love Bo Nix, which he's 23 years old playing college football in his fifth year, and he would be just the fourth uh, quarterback to get drafted in the first round that played college at 23 years or older. 
So yeah, it'd be a bit of an outlier when you're looking at things. The last one being Kenny Pickett, but from a fantasy perspective, you now have a Konami quarterback. It's clear that Bonix is a Konami quarterback. He's been rushing great since he was at Auburn. So you have a Konami quarterback that gets first round draft capital. And whether you like him or not, first round draft capital for a Konami quarterback is going to push good prospects down the board. And I think that's something that you absolutely should always want in fantasy football is more good offensive skill players to have in your rookie drafts, whether you like them or not. At pick 21 to the Minnesota Vikings, the upgrade quarterback, goodbye, Josh Dobbs. Hello, quarterback Michael Penix Jr. out of Washington. You thought Bo Nix was a five-year player? Well, hello, six-year player Michael Penix Jr. Four years at Indiana, then the past two years at Washington. 4,600 passing yards, 31 pass touchdowns, just eight interceptions last year. This year, he's throwing for 350 yards a game, 28 touchdowns, just seven interceptions. But Ian, six-year player, and he's not mobile. Are, can, we, can we be in on this guy in Dynasty, or is this are there too many red flags at this point? Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance. Why am I naming those names? Those were quarterbacks in the same recruiting class as Michael Penix. Some have already established themselves in the NFL or have been considered busts already. But it's pretty hard to like Michael Penix as an NFL prospect. I mean, you don't have the Konami floor to fall on. You get first-round draft capital, but can we really project him being a good passer? At pick 24. To the Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud. Here is a round one receiver, Amika Egbuka out of Ohio State. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. That's good size. As a sophomore, he had similar production to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the same college. 74 catches, 1,150 yards, and 10 touchdowns. And then this year as a junior, not just a step back, but a massive, massive, massive step back. Marvin Harrison currently has three times as many receiving yards, four times as many receiving touchdowns as Igbuka, who is actually not second, but third now on the team in receiving how do we feel about a guy that looked like a pretty elite prospect last year? And now this year, uh, I mean, I don't even know what to call this. A, a step back is almost like a disservice to step backs. It's like he fell off the podium. I, I think it's kind of a curious one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we can point to Marvin Harrison being an alpha this year, which he has been a 32.4% target share. We know he's getting a bulk of targets, but Ibuka played with Marvin Harrison last year. If you could not only play with him, he put up a 25.9% target share next to him, good for 20.8 points per game. So we've seen if you could do it before at a younger age while playing with Alpha Marvin Harrison. And it's it's kind of, and Jackson Smith and Jigba at times. It's it's almost hard to say why this is happening to Ibuka, someone who you're still interested in because his age-adjusted uh, production is really good. He's probably going to declare early for the draft and looks like, according to this mock, first-round draft capital, all that's solid. But yeah, this this last year that he's having right now, you hope that it can be fixed in the back half of the year. You see the production start to get back to what we expected from him to begin with. But yes, it, it is a, a kind of a weird year. But I mean, shoot, when you talk about landing spots, talk about C.J. Stroud, who we talked about earlier in the show. He has three wide receivers with 14 points per game. And you can't tell me that Nico Collins, Tank Dell, and Noah Brown would be doing this in essentially any other situation. And yes, I said Noah Brown has 14 plus points per game this season. This next player has the most interesting profile of anyone we'll discuss on this show. At pick 26 to the Seattle Seahawks, 
Geno Smith, goodbye. Too many turnovers this year. Too much ineffectiveness. Hello, quarterback Jaden Daniels out of LSU. Jaden Daniels is built like a cornerback. This is the most unique offensive weapon that I've maybe ever seen in terms of production profile. He's currently in year five of his college career. And this year, he's averaging 310 passing yards per game, 30 passing touchdowns, just four interceptions. And he's averaging 92 rushing yards a game. Last week against Florida, he had maybe the most fun stat line ever. 372 yards passing on just 26 attempts. Three passing touchdowns. Two more rushing touchdowns. But get this, Ian. He had 234 rushing yards in that game. That's right. You'd be hard-pressed to find a quarterback with 372 passing yards and 234 rushing yards and five total touchdowns in a game. He just did that last week against Florida. I mean, huh. Built like a cornerback. I don't see how he fits at the NFL level, but I can't ignore that this production profile simply has not been seen before. Yeah, so uh, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's the first college quarterback to ever have 300 passing yards and 200 rushing yards in the same game. Could be off, but I'm pretty sure that is the correct stat. But in terms of looking at his profile and his landing spot, as a Seattle fan, I obviously wouldn't like it because fifth year, quarterback in the first round already isn't great. And then you add on the fact that he's just been a mediocre passer essentially every single year of his college career dating back to Arizona state. But yes, in terms of fantasy, like we talked about with Bo Nix, you would have a first round quarterback who has clear Konami upside, very clear. So with opportunities, you do have a high floor in terms of production. And if you don't like him, which you probably won't as a prospect because he doesn't look good, if he gets first round, he's someone who can possibly push guys down the board, or you just end up with a first-round Konami quarterback very late in your drafts. Pick 29 to the Baltimore Ravens. They try again at receiver. Rashad Bateman, it is clear at this point injuries have ruined his career. Odell Beckham Jr., it is clear age and injuries have also ruined whatever the rest of his career would be. They take Troy Franklin out of Oregon. He's tall and skinny. As a sophomore, he had two times as many receiving yards as anyone else on the team. Now this year as a junior, 109 receiving yards per game. Do we like Troy Franklin pairing up with Zay Flowers and Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson in Baltimore? I mean, in terms of a, in terms of a landing spot, it's not amazing. You're talking about a team that we had hoped would up their pass attempts per game with Todd Monk and now uh, calling the offensive shots. But that just hasn't happened. We they, they just continue to be a team that's not going to pass the ball at high volume. So, yeah, for a wide receiver, it's not a very good spot to be. But in terms of the Troy Franklin profile, first-round draft capital will be awesome for a guy that when we talk about linear path to production. That's what he's had, 5.1 points per game as a freshman, 15.7 points per game as a 19-year-old uh, sophomore. And this past season has truly blown up with 26.2 uh, points per game in a 20-year-old junior year. Someone who could declare early, be a first-round prospect, and has a solid production profile, I think is someone that you should almost always be into. But yeah, there is a bit less certainty or likelihood of him being this smashing hit. But a first-round early declare with his production profile is someone you should still be interested in. Guys, that's Ian Miller at Dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. His Dynasty rankings are up right now on the33rdteam.com. He writes up his big risers and fallers in that article as well. Before we discuss his three biggest fallers after week 10, we've got two more college prospects to discuss from the viral 33rd team mock draft that just came out projecting the 2024 draft in round one. 
for pick 30 to the Detroit Lions, wide receiver Brian Thomas out of LSU, come on down. He's playing alongside quarterback Jaden Daniels, who was taken earlier in this mock, and wide receiver Malik Neighbors, who was also taken earlier in this mock. Brian Thomas is 6'5". That's an awesome frame. He's still a bit raw, but he's, got, he's toolsy. He's averaging 92 receiving yards per game this year. He has 13 touchdowns through 10 games. That's more touchdowns than even Malik Neighbors has. How do you feel about Detroit trying to right their wrongs after that Jameson Williams pick and going with Brian Thomas? Yeah, as we talked about earlier, obviously it's a great spot to be if you're an offensive weapon in Detroit. But the other thing is that I don't I don't even know if Brian Thomas will declare this year because for him to declare, he would have to declare early. And for someone who didn't even have a 12% target share until this past year, it's hard to see that when it's not like he's blowing up the world in any sort of way. 20.9% target share is adequate. 2.71 yards per team pass attempts, quite efficient, but also speaks to the offensive efficiency that's been flowing through LSU this year. Um, but for someone who hasn't produced until this year, I still don't think it's any certainty that we see a guy like this declare. Um, but someone who, again, first-round draft capital, awesome system, even if you don't like him, pushes guys that you do like down the draft board. And now with the final skill position pick of this mock draft, this might be the spiciest pick as well. Everyone always wants to know who the Chiefs select. I think they ruined it. Once again, we've got Sky Moore, Meikle Hardman. Even Rasheed Rice doesn't feel like a big hit yet. Pick 31, the Chiefs take out of Texas, wide receiver Adonai Mitchell. Mitchell's got good size. He's 6'4", 190. He played his first two years at Georgia. Then he transferred to Texas for this year, his junior year. And he's not leading the team in receiving. He's got maybe four or five wheels on a decent-sized body. Uh, the production just doesn't quite line up for me. I, I don't see anything in his game that screams elite, uh, but he's going to the Chiefs. Feels like a mistake. Do you also agree with this? Yeah, so clearly they've been going into the mines of Kansas City and saying, how can we find the bust wide receiver? <laughs> this time we have to find him in the first round because I think it's pretty malpractice that not only are you going to take the guy or the wide receiver who's second on his team right now in receiving, but that he's second on the team in receiving to a guy who's younger than him. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because if we look at Xavier Worthy, who's probably going to be in this class, is younger than Adonai Mitchell, and he's outproducing him yet again. Well, not yet again because this is uh, A.D. Mitchell just transferred, but this is something that Xavier Worthy has been doing since he got to, or got to Texas. So I, I don't understand, unless I'm the Chiefs and this is my new shtick, is to just troll the fantasy community. You know, Patrick Mahomes gets a new weapon. Not saying he's good, but it's a new weapon is uh, is what I like to believe in this situation here. Yeah, and let's hit some fallers in Dynasty. Trevor Lawrence, yet to hit 20 fantasy points in a game this year in four-point pass touchdown scoring. That's embarrassing. He has Calvin Ridley. He has Christian Kirk. He has Evan Engram. He has Travis Etienne. He even had Zay Jones at one point. What the heck is going on here? How much has Lawrence fallen? I mean, this – I'll, I'll back your point for a second. Will Levis, Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, Gardner Minshew all have weeks of at least 28 points. Trevor Lawrence doesn't. And it's something that's – you don't look at his peripherals and you say, oh, well, it's clearly going to come around because his peripherals haven't been good. In fact, in his third year, it's getting worse than it was in his second year. And I'm not sure that Trevor Lawrence was deserving 
to be a first round startup pick and definitely not deserving of being someone who's getting selected over Lamar Jackson this past off season. It was a move that didn't make a lot of sense because in that second year, we got a glimpse of what could possibly be a breakout, but the overall peripherals weren't stand out. And then we look this year and we're getting just 16.1 or 15.8 points per game on the backings of an adjusted yards per attempt below seven, a passing touchdown rate of just 3%. And this is someone who's not a high-end Konami guy. So it's disappointing. Do I think Trevor Lawrence will improve in the back half of the season? Yes. Do I think he's going to finish as a QB1 this year? Honestly, no. So he's someone who's fallen in the rankings. And if it wasn't for just consensus value continuing to keep him afloat, I think he falls further in the rankings than he currently is. Last week on Thursday Night Football, anyone that watched would have a hard time deciding if Bryce Young or Tyson Bagent was the undrafted rookie or the first overall pick in the draft. Bryce Young, an obvious faller. Is there any hope for him? I mean, we, we have to move him down the rankings, but we, do you do you foresee any scenario where he, he gets to at least bounce back a little bit? Because at this point, the chasm between CJ Stroud and Bryce Young is in fact a chasm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help Bryce Young either that he's got drafted right in front of possibly the best rookie quarterback season we've ever seen. That only makes things worse. <laughs> but to your point that is, is this salvageable? Is there still hope with Bryce Young? The answer is yes, there absolutely is. We know rookie quarterbacks struggle, maybe not always to this level, but we know rookie quarterbacks don't always produce like they are the rest of their career. We're talking about Justin Fields, Matthew Stafford, and Trevor Lawrence. And I think Matthew Stafford's a really good comparison in this because he was also a pocket profile, meaning he's someone who's not going to run. But when we look and compare, well, Bryce Young has under 14 passing points per game. So did Matthew Stafford. When we look at their efficiency, well, Bryce Young has a 51.8 PFF passing grade. Matthew Stafford, 45.8 as a rookie. I think there's lots of things you could point to to say, hey, this prospect profile, number one overall pick, clearly wasn't a rusher and isn't a rusher and is having a down first year. I think you could point to, okay, well, we've seen this before. You have to trust the prospect profile. And he's not someone who you have to invest in what you would have had to invest this offseason. He's someone who's now, I've seen him right around Will Levis value. And I think that's something for an elite number one overall pick is, is completely fine taking a shot at. Uh, I would uh, much rather have Bryce Young than Will Levis in Dynasty. Folks, before we get to our final faller, maybe the spiciest one, I think a deserved one. Reminder that Ian's fantasy rankings are on the 33rdteam.com. My fantasy rankings, my rest of season rankings, my trade value chart are also on the 33rdteam.com. We just redesigned and relaunched the site. The 33rdteam.com, it's as sleek, as fast as anything out on the market. Make sure you're checking that out and make sure you're following Ian at dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. Let's end the show with a huge faller at receiver. The past three weeks, his average depth of target looked like a running back at zero air yards per target. Then, it, oh, we got so, so exciting. Two weeks ago, it boosted. His, his average depth of target was six yards. That was like a tight end. And then last week, he had a negative average depth of target. If, if you told me that Rondell Moore was putting up these stat lines, I would not have blinked an eye. Who is this big, big receiver faller that the, the, the community just is forgiving too many times at this point? 
So it's almost like the community is just trolling me or making me feel like I don't know anything because coming into the season, I actually wrote an article that you can find at the 33rd team site where I said, this guy is probably pretty overrated for where you're drafting him. In fact, drafting him as a wide receiver one, when I'm not sure his prospect profile said as good as he was, that he should be a wide receiver one without stepping foot on the field. Now we're 10 weeks into his rookie year and sure you could point to maybe a 19.8% target rate but you can't point to a 1.34 yards per hour run. And you certainly cannot point to an average depth of target as Larky pointed to of just 4.5. In fact, it would be the lowest ever by a first round wide receiver. And you would have to go out to the second round to find other wide receivers, the rookie season to have less than a six average depth of target. The other two being, as you mentioned, Rondell Moore and Jarvis Landry. Now, if you want to point to Jarvis Landry as a success story, this rookie wide receiver that we're talking about has a 19.8% target rate and 1.34 yards per run. Jarvis Landry is rookie year, 25.9% target rate and 1.75 yards per run. Not to mention his ADOT was 0.5 higher than this player's currently is. I think you should be doing everything you can to move off of at current value, Jackson Smith and Jigba.